The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. You've probably stood in a supermarket queue and thought you could be spending your short time on this earth more productively. That's what happened to today's guest, who instead of shrugging it off and repeating the process for the rest of his life, left, investigated the problem, and started on the path of building a company using computer vision to power smart carts that mean users never have to queue again. William Chomley was working in an investment fund and didn't have the time to wait in line, but did find the time to build out and validate the concept of solving the problem With Imager going from side hustle to very full-time, raising $14 million in a round led by Japanese tech giant Toshiba earlier this year. They're now working in Japan and Auckland on delivering the shopping experience of the future with a team of hardware and software experts solving a problem that Amazon and Alibaba have spent billions on. To talk inventing the future, Japan and imagination, William Chomley joins us now. Kelda, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Hey, um, so tell us, what, what were you up to? Like, um, we're working in the investment fund, and yeah, what, what were you up to when, when this idea came to you? Yeah, so I, I was actually covering uh, the retail sector early 2015. Uh, the whole world was really being pegged to go into this world of e-commerce, and the the reason being was that brick and mortar retailers were finding it really hard to to not only stay competitive but to really start seeing uh, a good margin in, in their supermarkets, um, and so I started having a look around at companies uh, that were going to basically give brick and mortar retailers a an innovative edge uh, in in early 2015. I I came across a, a technology, um, and this was my actual first attempt at building this company. Uh, called RFID, and uh, basically the idea and the concept that we came up with uh, with a business partner at the time was that we would put these little smart barcodes on on every single product and we'd have a reader on every single cart. You'd just be able to throw these products in, recognise them, remove the checkout, and, you know, retailers would be able to to get that competitive advantage back and, and they'd be able to win. Uh, and so for about six months, just set off day and night kind of, you know, on the side of working in the investment fund uh, to to build out this concept, and investment funds, from kind of my limited understanding of them, there's not a lot of side as far as I there is not a lot of side. No. <laughs> like long days, you know, big, big, big kind of like 
deals to close and, and research to be done? I, I looked pretty rough after six months. Um, so, you know, we had this, we had a bit of a routine where we would both leave. So she was at a, at a hedge fund in Sydney and I was at this investment fund. We'd catch up at about eight o'clock at her apartment in, in Bondi and we'd just work on, you know, researching the market or building a pitch deck or trying to find engineers to work with us. And we generally pull up, you know, depending on what we had to go, uh, around kind of two, three, four in the morning, and then, you know, you're back on the horse and, and back to work. And, uh, yeah, after about six months, it was um, it, had t- it had certainly taken its toll on me. <laughs> and what was it about this problem of the queue in retail that was something that you had a couple of goes at and were so interested in? I, I think just because looking at the market and, you know, it made sense that this was a real problem that needed to be solved. Uh, you know, we weren't building a solution and looking for a problem. The problem was there. Uh, and people had tried it before. People had failed. Uh, and I guess a little bit of blind ignorance that we thought we had the solution. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you kind of working on it day and night, you, you become obsessed with it, right? And and that's that's basically what happened. Um from there, we kind of made a pact that we'd resigned from our jobs, and we typed up our resignation letters. I walked in in the morning. I had breakfast with my boss, and I told him. And, uh, you know, there was a bit of back and forth, but I'd made my mind up. And uh, I called her and said, I've, I've done it. She said, I can't. I'm sorry. You, you know, you're on your own. <laughs> so, I mean, that was kind of a bit of, you know, oh, a frying pan into the fire. <laughs> I, and what, what did people say to you when, when that happened? Because I, I, um, I would guess that, you know, job, jobs and investment funds in Sydney are pretty hard fought for and really well sought and to, have, um, to be in that position and then to choose to walk out to um, take an untested technology uh, and, and make it happen. What did people say to you? Well, I mean, it, it depends who you talk to, right? When you talk to your family, obviously, they're quite supportive. Um, but... You know, when you talk to other people, they're, yeah, look, they, they think it is a little bit crazy, right? I don't have a background in engineering. I've, I was basically technologically illiterate uh, throughout that time. Um, and so, yeah, everyone did think it was a little bit mad. Um, when I did leave, I guess that did get validated by some of the venture capitalists that I did speak to, <laughs> uh, that it was a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> and so uh, that, was, that was pretty sobering. Um, you know, the first VC I did ever speak to told me it was the worst idea he'd ever heard in venture capital, and he'd been in venture capital for two decades. Um, and was this when it was still the RFID idea? RFID. Or was this once it had, right, right. And so, you know, from from there, uh, I realised pretty quickly that it was a bad idea. Um, but it was a bad idea because of the application, right? The application was, you know, this operationally heavy... Uh, RFID tag, you know, who was going to stick it on? There were too many questions left unanswered. Um, quite, and so quite, quite a lot of products in a supermarket. A lot. And, and, and they're not um, no cost either, RFID tags, are they? They're, I mean, normally they're around 20 cents. The group that we'd found out of Israel, they were printing it in the ink, so it was like a matter of cents. Mm. But when you're talking a stick of gum, right, that's a huge amount of margin that's gone. Um, if it's a kind of a high-ticket uh, high item like a T-shirt, it doesn't really matter. Mm. Um so very, yeah, very quickly realised that had to shut it down, find a new application, which is kind of where images started. And tell me about that that, that kind of um, 
the approach that you've taken with Imager? Like, what do you do? What do you tell someone if, you, um, if you're at a barbecue and they're like, what does Imager do? Uh, what do I say? Look, I say that we are removing checkouts with uh, AI-powered carts. Or an, basically, we've got an end-to-end system, right? Because it is more than just carts. Uh, you do need the software, the hardware, the product, the operations. You need everything that a retailer then just buys. So, yeah, look, I mean, if I'm to kind of condense it down, it is we're building a product that is removing checkouts from supermarkets. And how does it, how does it do that? How would a consumer interact with it? Yeah, so a consumer interacts with it just like they'd interact with a normal cart. So if you actually have a look at our carts, they don't look anything different. There's no big screens. It's not scary. Uh, a customer can walk in. They can throw you know anything they want in. Uh, and then there's two ways to check out. Uh, they can go through the normal checkout, uh, you know, use a self-checkout scan uh, the cart, and it'll transfer uh, the contents onto the self-checkout, and they can just pay and walk out. So you don't need to take everything out, scan it, or completely frictionless experience, which allows a customer to walk in, they pair their phone with the cart, they shop, and then they can just walk straight out. So there's no queuing whatsoever, and payments taken once they leave the supermarket. Right. And so I, I watched a video that was on your site, and uh, you, you know, it, it looks like a kind of a, a, a cart, um, you know, one of those kind of tall, narrow ones on this video. And the person was just chucking through, you know, bag of capsicums and box of this and box of that, and doing it in a really kind of like, um, you know, there's no time for it to, to to show that there's no time for it to do it. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you go about creating this kind of system with this ring of you know, cameras and or, or computer recognition um, sensors. Like, mm. how does it how does it work? So, so when you look at AI, what makes AI, I guess, work and uh, perform the way it does is it requires huge amounts of data, so that it can start to infer patterns uh, that it's seeing in that data set. Ours is exactly the same. So we basically need pictures of every single product inside a supermarket. So what happens is we build this database. We then train our AI through it, and so this AI has been built here in New Zealand. Uh, from there, that means that any product that goes in, basically we're having a look at the database to say, do you recognise this, yes or no? Uh, once we recognise it, we then call the point of sale, and we ask for the price of the product. They then shoot that back, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's how it works. So similar to kind of how your eye processes information. And to people, you know, I guess you've got to be testing all of the the tricks, like people chucking two things in at once, mm. or people putting something in and taking it out, or how do you how do you work your way around humans? Yeah, so trying to test for all of that behaviour is, uh, I mean, we've got our own supermarket that's live in Auckland, and so that is open to the public. Uh, that's in Ponsonby. Coming in, seeing people shop, how they behave, how they treat the system is basically then taken by our product team to then build a backlog of product features. Uh, so that we can catch all of that activity. Um, there's another couple of approaches that you can take, one that we didn't, which is putting weight in the cart, uh, and that's for a very deliberate reason. Um, you know, If you think about an identified item in the bagging area oh, at the yeah. self-checkout, uh, we didn't want you know 50 of those roaming the supermarket, so it, <laughs> we, we didn't put weight in, and we can tackle it with other ways. Yeah, it's um, it's quite bleak when you're standing there in the the self-checkout area and there's four things with the red light flashing and five people looking like they want to jump off a building because the thing's going 
Yeah, exactly. So, you know, our product team hated that experience. So we wanted to be as seamless as possible uh, for the customer. The customer is the supermarket for Imager. And then for the customer's customer, which is, you know, you and me, the, the end user. So what led you away from RFID and into uh, building out uh, a, a world kind of leading AI in the space? Because I imagine that's also not a trivial <laughs> exercise. No, it certainly wasn't. Um, so what so what happened was when I realized that RFID wasn't going to work, I started looking at new applications to create the same experience. Everything that I was reading was pointing to the fact that, hey, brick-and-mortar supermarkets aren't dead. You know, they're just kind of asleep. Uh, if we can make them more efficient, you know, there's, there's a market for this product. And so started looking at things like common directional barcode readers, larger barcodes, uh, came across AI in early 2015. And to give you an idea, AI around then for image recognition, it was around kind of 50 to 60% accurate. That means, you know, half the products in the supermarket are walking out the door for free. Uh, so I started reading a number of peer-reviewed journals about, you know, this vision recognition technology and came across one from a scholar at Google. And I wrote to him and I said, this is what I want to do. In fact, I wrote to a number of people. He was the only one that wrote back. Uh, this is what I want to do. Four cameras on a cart. Anything you throw in is going to be automatically identified. Uh, anything you take out, exactly the same. Can you do it? And he said, no, you can't. Not just yet. But what we're seeing here at Google, give it a couple of years and, uh, and you'll be able to. I said, fantastic. Do you want to come and join me? He's like, no. I, <laughs> I, work, at, I work at Google. <laughs> um, so he, he then said, uh, well, we went back and forward and I said, do you know anyone that might be able to help? And he said, yeah, I do. Uh, there's this mathematician out of Budapest. He'd be able to write the code for you. So we got in touch. Imager was born. We agreed we'd split the company and, you know, 70, 30, I'd pay his salary. Uh, he'd write the code. And from there, I then basically worked three jobs for about a year and a half while I was pitching other people. So I used to set up a cafe in the morning and then I was a furniture removalist. And then kind of at night, I would build either models or uh, IMs for people online. And kind of in that afternoon period, we'd work on the company. And I mean, it led me down a very interesting path. Um, you know, we pitched a lot of people. I ended up, you know, making some prototypes in, uh, in Sydney, paying, you know, a dairy owner to use a supermarket to, to basically go and collect data so that, you know, we could build this AI. And then, in, you know, during all of these pitches, everyone was like, e-com, e-com, mm. you know, you're going down the wrong path. And then Q4 2016, Amazon released Go. Mm. Um, you know, they acquired Whole Foods shortly after that. And then everyone was like, oh, God, you yeah. know, brick and mortar retail is on. Yeah. And then, <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny, yeah, people. You mean, yeah. there's that great kind of idea that, you know, you can kind of bet, yeah, yeah, there's going to be change and there's going to be this. But you can generally bet that a lot of things will continue to happen pretty much as they have for a long time yeah. because people are used to them. And people like going to the stores they like whether it's I mean there's obviously e-coms rising and there's you know a role for all of these things but the reason there are all of these stores everywhere is people like walking in they like to pick up their avocado and turn it around and they like to be struck with inspiration and you know they like the process yeah exactly and when you actually have a look at the breakdown of purchase behavior 
five to ten percent is only done online, which means you've got you know ninety to ninety five percent that is still done in store. And then when you look at the breakdown of the market, you know it's six times larger in terms of market size. So you're right. I mean, people still like to touch their groceries, and you know, I think a lot of the the online e-com giants, the Amazons, the Alibabas, they they see that, mm. and so it's why they're going so hard into into grocery. And that Amazon Go you mentioned there, so that was the thing where Amazon made the store where uh, you'd, you'd walk in, facial recognition would would know who you were, and then you'd walk around picking stuff up, and through about a bazillion cameras and sensors, they'd know what you'd bought, and then you walked out. Yeah. And that that was really exciting to everyone. But it kind of feels like the most overkill approach to 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 that. Like the the capital cost of that must be huge. extraordinary. Huge. When you when you look at it, when you look at these stores, and I'm not sure if you've ever been to Amazon Go, but Amazon Go is a fantastic solution. Like for an end user, it's glorious, right? Uh, for a supermarket, a lot of the ones we talk to can't even afford it. Uh, huge capital up front huge operations uh, and, you know, the running costs. So to give you an idea, I believe it's around 1.6 terabytes of data every second that they need to process, which is huge, right? Um, you know, for us having 100 carts in store all day catering to three or 4,000 people, it's equivalent of streaming Netflix at home, right, all day. Um, not only that, you now start looking at what benefit you're actually providing uh, and for the store, outside of a great customer experience, you're actually now having to replace your staff with AI engineers, and they're not cheap. Yeah, uh, and, and probably not like <laughs> waiting in suburban in every suburb ready to come work for you. No, exactly. So the amount of processing that's required, uh, it just it doesn't make sense. Um, they're forging ahead and good on them, but they've also now released a product that is exactly like Images, which is called Dashcart. They realised that it wasn't going to work. Um, they're now going out after you know what we've been building out for you know good four years now, um, and you know now we're starting to see a lot more players coming into this market as well. Right, but that kind of Amazon Go doing that, which which was in many ways a big marketing exercise. Like there was yeah. no way that that that's kind of sitting on someone's um, business plan as a. No, not at all. <laughs> it's something that's going to make them any money. Because grocery is, you know, a, a very low margin business. It's a great volume, tiny margin business. So that kind of uh, extraordinarily expensive approach, great marketing, but it did set the conditions for people to then be really interested in, in what you were providing. Yes and no. Yes and no, because then we had another fight on our hands, right? How you might be targeting the right industry, but your approach is completely wrong. You know, everyone wants roof-based. Um, and again, we kind of, we looked at it, we evaluated it, and we just couldn't make the numbers work. To your point, low margin. When you're a low margin business, you need very uh, efficient operations, right? That is how they make money. Centralized distribution, they run their stores militantly. Mm. Uh, squeeze the crap out of suppliers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, for us, we just couldn't see how this was going to make sense. Uh, and so, again, we, we forged ahead with that. 
And so what was your breakthrough moment? So, you know, you've left this job, uh, a great job, I imagine. Uh, you're you're w- walking around seeing um, venture capitalists after venture capitalists who are telling you that yeah. your baby's ugly. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the world's biggest and most exciting retail players like um, Amazon and Alibaba, who've done a whole bunch of interesting stuff in China, are, are, are in the space. And so people are going, you can't win. How did you break through to the point where you were able to start raising the kind of funds that it takes to build out an AI first and, you know, it's a hardware and a software thing. It's a big, big, big job to take on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of reflecting now, yeah, what was I thinking? (laughs) Um, But, uh, look, I mean, we we had a number of points that, really helped shape the business. The first was obviously our, our angel round, and that came out of some high net worths in New Zealand um, and, and one out of Australia. That allowed me to move back to New Zealand, which I always wanted to do. Um, you know, I'd done 12 years in Sydney. I was ready to come home. Uh, so I came back. I met my co-founder, Konstantinos. He moved from the US. Um, he was doing his PhD at Purdue University. Uh, his wife was there. Um, and he came out on his own for six months, and then she moved over. We then met a venture capitalist in late 2017. Um, and, you know, to be fair, we were building out a number of different approaches, and he walked in and he said, cut all the nonsense. You're just focusing on brick-and-mortar retail with this product. And so we did, and that kind of clarity of thought really helped. Um, the next big milestone was probably signing our Japanese customer, mm. and that happened really quickly. Uh, and it happened almost by accident that we started focusing on Japan. We thought the US was going to be our market. Uh, you know, we were actively looking at moving over there. But, you know, Japan was just this market that a lot of people kind of had ignored. Mm. But when you have a look at, you know, autonomous checkout, you break it up into almost countries and companies that want it because it's sexy, it's a great marketing tool. And then you have a look at those that need it. And it's a matter of survival. When you go to Japan, um, you know, like we were talking about before this podcast, uh, it's a it's a very interesting place. Um, but you know, they've got a number of problems in that they've got a an aging population that's actually crippling their workforce to the stage where supermarkets can't actually hire staff. Seven Elevens, you know, in some areas aren't twenty four hours anymore. They're starting to move towards digitalization of payment very competitive, people are shopping five to seven times a week. Mm. And so they need this because the supermarkets are going out of business. Yeah, small small regular shops mm. and yeah, and, and that kind of structural deficit of workers. And they're not going to turn to immigration to, to change it either because of you know, Japan being Japan. Japan yeah. Um, yeah, wow. And then on the other hand, you've got America where people are still using checks they go to Costco, they go doing coupons. You know, they're, they're living a... There's, there's a huge sector of America, you know, all the shiny stuff's there, but there's a huge sector of America that's not not really living in this century. No, exactly. And, you know, to the shopping behaviour piece, uh, people shopping kind of four to seven times per week, they have, you know, smaller basket sizes, the store formats are smaller, the range of products are smaller. Um, but, you know, those are the people that really need this, right? Because they just want to get in, they want to get out. Mm. When you have a look at America, to your point about Costco, you know, you can buy everything from like a cucumber to like a car spoiler, right? The cart size is just massive. And people are shopping, you know, once per week. They've already committed four hours to go there. Mm. What's an extra 30 minutes standing in line? Um, 
So our, our approach is really tackle kind of APAC and, and Asia, head up into Europe, which is happening next year, uh, and then, you know, circle back around uh, to the US in, in kind of three years. Kia ora, I'm Sophie. I'm Simon. And I'm Alice, and together we host the spin-off's food podcast, Dietary Requirements. Join us each month as we explore a vast culinary landscape, from the gourmet... Ooh la la. ...to your more hearty tucker. Onion dip, anyone? Everything's on the table in Dietary Requirements. Subscribe wherever you listen to all your favourite podcasts. The other big breakthrough, you know, after that Japanese customer... Toshiba, who, like one of the really big tech companies out of Japan and one of the biggest makers of um, point of sale technology in the world, how did that feel to get a to get a call from them, and what happened with them? Yeah, so yeah, they are they own around twenty percent globally uh, market share for point of sale, about sixty five percent in Japan, so they're huge. The first thing to obviously go in autonomous checkout is the point of sale. <laughs> so they were starting to have a look at how they can future-proof their business, and they enlisted an investment bank in 2019 to conduct a global search. They had a look at Amazon Go. They had a look at all of our competitors, uh, and they concluded that we were number one, uh, and as a result, they made an investment in us. In fact, they took our entire round. Um, we had to increase it so existing shareholders could also participate, but that was, I mean... That was not just a phone call. That was a very long, drawn-out process um, that, yeah, once it kind of pen hit the paper, I went and slept for basically a day. Yeah, what, what's it like doing business in Japan? Is there so many kind of, um, in, you know, it's kind of fabled how it's, it's a um, kind of court etiquette or something uh, that's still in their business world. Mm. Well, what's it like working with a one of the biggest corporations. Yeah, so, I mean, working with them, we we have a little bit to do with them because our customer in Japan actually uses their point of sale. So it's not too bad from that point of view. And from shareholder point of view, they're fantastic. Um, we've got a really good relationship with them. They want to help wherever they can. But, I mean, yeah, look, you're right. It is a very different business world that is very heavily entrenched in, in respect, in hierarchy, in process, and in paper. They love paper. Um, so, you know, there's, there is a lot of, uh, yeah, etiquette around relationships, right? And, and business is done there on, on relationships. So there was a lot of travel back and forth, sometimes weekly, in between New Zealand and Japan, obviously post-COVID, um, sorry, pre-COVID, hopefully post-COVID as well. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so it was, it was really building the relationship first, seeing the technology, do we want to work together, and then investment, which is generally how these rounds work anyway. Yeah, awesome. And then, and you've been, you've been based up out of Japan for, well, in the, the pre-COVID world, uh, for quite a lot of the year. Yeah, so I got, a, I got a phone call from our chairman when I was at a barbecue, and he basically said, hey, world's going to go into lockdown, what are you going to do? We were starting a deployment with our customer, and it was, you know, our biggest deployment to date. So really, really important. Um, and also a target market for us as well. So I, I said, hey, look, I'm going to go up there. Uh, I'll pack a bag, I'll leave tomorrow. So I did. I packed a bag, uh, probably enough clothes for a couple of weeks. Uh, eight months later, I've, I've managed to come back. Um, and, yeah, heading, heading back up there, actually, in a couple of days. Yeah, wow. Like, and um, 
what's it like in the, you, you know, we're, it kind of feels like we're in a life raft in New Zealand uh, compared to the rest of the world. What's what's Japan like at the moment? Yeah, Japan is, I mean, what we see is Japan's just operating like normal. It's It has been very much business as usual. Tokyo saw a bit more stringent lockdown. Osaka, you know, they did lock it down for a little while. But by and large, you know, even before COVID, everyone wears masks. Uh, you know, people are very conscious of, of hygiene. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't really too much of a change in people's day-to-day lives. And you mentioned before you're looking at Europe uh, next. What are the what are the plans for the, the product? And at what stage is it? Like, is this a trial that's rolling out? Or, or is this kind of the full noise product um, at, at full um, production? So... Our product that we've got at the moment is, is a pull cart. Um, and, you know, we've had feedback that people aren't big on it. <laughs> so we've now developed a push cart, which will be ready by the end of this year and delivered up to Japan by kind of Feb-March. Uh, so this will be the start of, you know, trial and then into, you know, the rollout phase, which is going into all of their supermarkets. In terms of Europe, we've got deployment uh, in trial phases with some of Europe's largest retailers, and those are starting next year as well, uh, as well as a few more retailers out of Japan that we're starting to talk to in, in the early, well, we're in the early stages. Awesome. What, what um, a couple of questions we'd like to ask everyone, like, what would your advice be to someone who, who has got this kind of, you know, found this problem that, that you know, is an itch they need to scratch, and, yeah, like, like, um, yeah, what what would you what would you say to someone who who can see that they've they've found something where there's an interesting answer, but they keep hearing no's? Well, I mean, you just have to be obsessed with it, right? And and I am. For me, it's I I get obsessed with seeing how far I can almost take it with my team, right? I get obsessed with actually watching my team. Like they they're incredible. I get obsessed with coming into work every day and just. I guess seeing the evolution of the product or basically just in love with the process, right? And you have to be because it is it is hard. Um, and I would also say that, you know, you have to start learning how to talk to yourself in a positive mindset because when you hear no a lot, uh, you know, it, it's really easy to jump on that side as well and, and beat yourself up. It's also important not to be completely blind, right? And, and to take that feedback on. And that is kind of that is what I used to do to a certain extent. You know, I would always come back and I would review how I pitched and whether you know it could improve. And eventually, that's how we did raise capital. Um, but you know, I think if if you've got something that you really believe in, then you know, depending on what stage of life you're at, you know, you don't have to throw everything in, but you should be prepared to dedicate your own time and your own money to it to get it to a stage before you actually are asking people to invest in it. Um, and then, you know, I would say that, yeah, just just enjoying actually what you're doing, right? And failure is not fatal, right? And, and I think if you can view it like that, then then you're going to be okay. And how do you balance the kind of dedication that, you know, you've got the right problem with not getting just trapped in the solution? You know, like some people might have never moved past RFID or some people might never have moved past another, you know, way, way to solve this problem that you've gone through on the way like I guess what I'm asking is 
how do you make sure you don't end up making fish ice cream and everyone tells you no fish ice cream is bad and you're like no no I know and <laughs> you just you just I think you just you listen to your customers yeah um, the more we spoke to retailers and the more we understood what problems they were actually facing I think the more it validated our process right you give anyone a tablespoon of fish ice cream they're gonna tell you it's awful <laughs> yeah uh, and and for us. It was listening to them and, you know, I guess weighting their importance and their input versus the weighting of, let's say, a, a VC firm that wanted e-com, right? And so by really kind of focusing on that area, we built something that retailers wanted, tackled, you know, and solved for problems that they currently had uh, and ensured that, you know, we were talking their language when, you know, we were selling it to them or we were introducing features. And so... I would say, yeah, just you know, listen to listen to your customer. And what will what will success be like for you with with Imager and with this journey? As you're pretty early on in the process, really considering mm. um, how big uh, it is to go. But also, you know, you've raised three three great rounds. Uh, you've got a great investor on board. You're working with some really big retailers. Uh, built out a team, doing AI out of New Zealand. Like these are all things that must have been on your list of like hard problems to have hopefully cracked one day. You've already got a few of them down. Yeah, I think with, with every next level, you know, there's there's always another level that you have to reach to. Um, and so, you know, for, for Imager, I think our, our goal of success is, you know, to be, to be number one in the world. Um, you know, I'm passionate about New Zealand technology. Uh, I'm passionate about Kiwis. You know, my personal mission is that, uh, I want to inspire Kiwis that you can change the world from New Zealand. And we've got so many examples of doing that. Uh, so I guess what success looks like is, is being able to say that we've beaten a lot of these tech giants and we've done it from New Zealand. That's awesome. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for joining us today and sharing the story of Imager. That's CEO and founder, William Chomley. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Tina Tiller for producing. And thank you for having us along in your ears and listening. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound and brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tāmaki Makaurau, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.